Our sermon text would be Acts 16, verses 20 through 40. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. By advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prisoners' doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sir, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all the household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jail, jailer with the order, Release those men. The jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered you and Silas to be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and they throw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escort them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas come out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Thanks, Harold, for reading our passage for us. So we're, uh, we're continuing to work our way through the book of Acts, and this morning we're looking at the second half of Acts 16. And, um, and what I want to do is just set that context for you and kind of remind you a little bit of what has happened, how, how it is that we're we're here, and what we what we really did is we divided Act 16 into two parts. We did part one last week, and in part one we had Lydia and the slave girl who came to faith. The third part is another story about conversion, and it's really important as we as we look at this to kind of stay focused on what is happening, okay? Because 
I think in this passage especially, your mind can kind of run to the uh, to the happening, uh, to the earthquake, to the you know to the prison doors being flung open and the and the uh, the uh, chains falling off Paul and Silas and you know kind of that event is if you think about it, that would be the event that were it to happen would really kind of capture our attention. Um, but it's all of the things that are happening behind the scenes in this passage that uh, that Luke, as he writes the book of Acts, really wants us to see. He wants us to see. Uh, he wants to see to see that the gospel converts across all sorts of boundaries and barriers. Because what we've had is we've had Lydia, who was the seller of purple cloth, and we talked about that last week that she. Um, that you know, purple cloth was used for royalty. It was very expensive, and so we said, you know, she's she's a woman's clothing boutique dealer, and it's high end. Um, she she was probably uh, at least for a woman um, in Philippi, she would have been somewhat wealthy. Uh, and then we have the opposite end of the spectrum. We had the slave girl who lives on the streets. Her handlers. Um, uh, serve as, you know, cruel, uh, you, know, you can think of words we would probably use to describe what those guys are, okay? But they're, they're utilizing the fact that she's controlled by this spirit and, um, and she's able to give, um, uh, prophetic utterances about people's future. So she's a fortune teller of sorts. But she, she would have lived a very poor quality of life. And so we have these two figures, and now we end up with a Roman jailer. Now, to kind of understand the Roman jailer, you've got to know that typically this sort of job would have been reserved for a Roman soldier. So this guy would have probably come up through the ranks at some point along the way. He either exited the military, he retired, it got too old and cumbersome. And so in the Roman system, the retirement the retirement system that they would have had was kind of a civil service sort of a deal. So you you would have received a job that allowed you to serve in some other capacity. And in this instance, it's probably uh, the the situation where he is taken on the role of a jailer. So he's he's cruel. He's affiliated, associated. He understands. Uh, he's acquainted with. Uh, cruel practices, and and um, and he he has no compunction about uh, meting out you know a little bit of extra judgment on prisoners and that sort of stuff. Um, and so that's the guy that we we encounter in this text. He is the focus. Uh, the, there is some focus, as we'll see, on what the apostle Paul does, but it's his conversion and how he's converted. And the means by which he is converted for the Apostle Paul. Because remember, Paul, as he, as he uh, gets to Philippi, he goes down to the river. He meets Lydia and the women that are down there. And he speaks openly and freely. They have questions. He engages in conversation with them about the gospel. We, so we see kind of this one mode that Paul had, right? Not afraid and go to go and talk with people who are familiar and have some familiarity with uh, the things of God. The second person is this woman, the slave girl, and and Paul speaks to her only after he's quite agitated with her actions and all that's gone on. And remember, 
it's, you know, in the name of Jesus, um, be changed is essentially what, what the Apostle Paul says. And in that interaction, um, we see this uh, young slave girl's life uh, changed. And then in this instance, how is it? And I want us to look at that. What is it that Paul does um, in order to have a conversation with the Philippian jailer? Now, you think about this, right? We do this all the time. In relationships with other Christians, when we meet Christians and we sit down with them for the first time, the thing that draws us together with them typically is the gospel. And so it's not uncommon for us, for us to ask the question, right? How did you come to faith? How did you come to know Jesus? Because that story is going to be, I mean, they're all different. Everybody's testimony is different. Everybody's story is different. Um, I, I was, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about different interesting stories that, uh, that I've heard over the years about how people came to faith. And one of the most interesting ones was a guy named Turgai in Turkey. And um, I didn't learn about him until uh, I, I was I was had left Turkey and been gone for 10, 11, 12 years. And um, and our, our church in Montgomery was uh, was working with a church plant through our MTW in Istanbul. And so uh, we met this Christian pastor who was there who had become Presbyterian, as he says, by reading his Bible and. Um, and he, he, we were looking at partnering with him. And so we met Turgai and we heard his testimony. And Turgai's testimony essentially went like this. Turgai was watching Turkish television one evening. And in that, uh, on the TV was, uh, Little House on the Prairie in Turkish. Which has got to be interesting to hear Pa speak Turkish, okay? But he's watching Little House on the Prairie, and in these episodes of Little House on the Prairie, what do they do around the dinner table? You remember? Pa and the family get together, and they pray. And then there's there was often times in Little House on the Prairie, there would be a section where Pa would read the Bible. And um, and that is how Turgai heard about Jesus and was became interested. And he got his hands on a Bible, and he began to read the Bible, and... Uh, and he came to faith um, by uh, just watching Little House on the Prairie. God uses all sorts of things. And in this instance, uh, in the text, that is really the focus, is the conversion of this Philippian jailer. And what a story he had. So let's look at it. Um, here is the, uh, here's the situation. So after the, uh, the demon is cast out of the girl, um, those gentlemen... <laughs> Um, which is much too nice a term for them, they become incensed, right? They've lost their income. And so what they did is they went to the magistrates. Now, every Roman uh, town would have had these magistrates in them. Usually there was a, a pair of them. And, um, and they're typically, their job was to keep order in the, in, in the city. And they would do that through a number of means, but one of them was that they would met out corporal punishment. They would hold hearings and they would, they would exercise this punishment. And so one of the things that magistrates in a Roman town would do is they would carry these rods around. They would have bundles of these rods. And it was a symbol to everybody, hey, listen, 
you know, we've got the, the power of the rod, the power of the sword, if you will, belongs to us to make sure that everybody stays in line. And so after this happens, they, these guys go to the magistrates and they get everything kind of whipped up in a frenzy and the magistrates um, bring Paul and Silas in. They have them stripped down and, um, and they are beaten with rods. Now, this beating that takes place, uh, verse uh, 23 says that they had been severely flogged. Um, everything you read about it just says it was brutal. They would have had no clothes on, so they were publicly humiliated, and then these rods, usually Roman soldiers would have been the ones to have taken the rods and given the beatings. It would leave you badly bloodied. You would, uh, it would open your skin, typically. Um, it was not uncommon for, uh, for there to be multiple broken bones. And, um, and there are many, many accounts in, uh, in, in ancient texts, Roman texts, about people dying from being beaten with rods. So it, it was an incredibly brutal practice. And, uh, and in this case, there's no, there's no trial, there's no hearing, there's nothing. Merely the fact that these men, who were probably some sort of power brokers in town, were able to whip the town into a frenzy or people up into a frenzy, and the magistrates just immediately went to the beating with rods. After that, they were thrown into prison, and this jailer was given um, was given orders, and here are the orders, to put them in the inner cell, to guard them carefully, okay? And so he takes them, and he has them, his order is guard them carefully, he takes them, and he has them put into the inner cell, and he has their legs put in stocks, okay? Now, <clears throat> the stocks that you and I are thinking of are, you know, at Disneyland when we go and we put our head in there, right, in our hands, and they take a picture of us and we're smiling and everything. Um, not so much the picture in the Roman jail. Uh, in the inner section of the jail where he put them, which is the dankest, deepest, darkest part of the prison, the, the most secure location, it's also the place where he's able to, to affix their, their legs in these stocks. The stocks would have put their legs in a very uncomfortable, kind of a splayed position where they, the cramping and, and pain would have come uh, quite quickly. It was a very painful thing. So now, think about what's happened. Paul and Silas have been beaten with rods. They're bloodied. They're naked. They probably had some broken bones. Uh, they're a mess. They bring them to the to the jailer who has them thrown into the nastiest part of the prison that he could. This is this is the worst part of the prison he could have put them in. Now he fastens their legs in stocks and he leaves them. That's the situation that Paul and Silas find themselves in. And it's out of that, it's out of that situation that the church continues to grow. Because here's kind of what happens next. 
It's a two-part event. And the two parts are the earthquake and the gospel. All right? So as they're there, um, we read that, that uh, verse 25, at midnight, so we're in the middle of the night, Paul and Silas are praying and they're singing hymns to God. And, that, and the way the text reads at the end of verse 25 is that all of the other prisoners in there, it, it, the, in the NIV it makes it sound as if they're just listening, right? Like, wow, these guys are, you know. But, but, the, but a better translation is uh, that they were perplexed. Like, they couldn't figure out, <laughs> they were dismayed. How is it that these guys are in there praying and rejoicing? How is it that they're singing hymns to God? They couldn't understand. Verse 26 tells us that at that point, there's an earthquake, and the foundations of the prison are shaken. All of the doors are opened, and their chains are loosed. And that's an amazing scene, right? And I says, I said earlier, that is the scene that if you just... If you just were kind of reading over the text, I think, that's the one, right? My chains fell off. I'm set free. Only that isn't exactly what happens. The doors open. The chains fall off. And then verse 27 happens. The jailer wakes up. He saw the doors open. And what does he do? He draws his sword, and he gets ready to commit Harry Carey. Right? He draws a sword, and he's going to kill himself. Why? Because in the Roman system, if you were charged, if you were a jailer, and you had charge over a prisoner, and that prisoner was freed, your life was taken. So he instantly says to himself, Oh my gosh, (laughs) <laughs> this is not good. And I don't want to die the way I know they're going to kill me, so I'll just do it myself. And so he takes his sword, and he's about to take his own life, and just as he's about to take his own life, a voice rings out. And what is that voice? The Apostle Paul. Don't harm yourself. We're all still here. So Paul somehow has seen what's going on. He sees the jailer about to kill himself. And he says, don't do it! We're all still here! And the jailer can't believe what he's hearing. He calls for lights. They rush in and he falls down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brings them out and he asks them, What must I do to be saved? Now that seems a little, a little quick, right? A little fast from finding that Paul inside, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, if I'm the jailer, man, let's get those doors closed and the stocks fastened again, right? I mean, my chance is now. But somehow in the course of what has taken place, Paul is able to convince all the other prisoners to stay put. And they're all there. They're all still in prison. And that is the message. 
That's the message to the Philippian jailer, right? So whereas Paul goes to Lydia and he explains the gospel to her and he shows her the scriptures and she believes, whereas Paul speaks to the slave girl and he tells the demon in her to leave, Paul here simply performs an amazing action. And it's really twofold. There's, there's three things happening, but twofold action on Paul's part, one on God's part. The one on God's part is the power of the miracle of the earthquake and the doors opening and the chains falling off. And then Paul's response. Paul's response first to the beating, to the imprisonment, uh, to, the, to the system shafting him is joy. Unspeakable joy. Unimaginable joy. Like, how could he... How could he have responded that way kind of joy? And the second part is forgiveness. They say, where is forgiveness in the text? I don't see that. And it isn't there explicitly. It's there in Paul's actions. Because when the, when the doors fling open and the chains fall off, what is your normal response? You're going to run. Right? You're going to do exactly what the jailer thought you were going to do. The jailer thought the doors are open, the chains are off, the prisoners are gone. But they didn't leave. And Paul didn't leave. He stayed put. And you know what that meant to the jailer? That meant he got his life back. Because if Paul leaves, the jailer dies. If Paul walks out of that prison when the doors fling open, then the jailer's life is toast. He's done for. But Paul didn't leave. And in Paul, and Paul understood all of this. That's why as he watches the guy prepare to kill himself, he tells him, we're still here. You don't have to, you don't have to take your life. We've spared it. We've given you your life back. We stayed in the cell. We didn't take the opportunity when we had it. And so in that act, what is Paul doing? He's extending amazing forgiveness to this jailer. Now, the jailer didn't beat him, but the jailer certainly didn't help him. And the jailer added insult to injury by putting him in the middle of the prison and putting his legs in the stocks. The jailer jailer had treated him very poorly. He didn't bandage his wounds. He didn't take care of any of those physical needs that he had. He had absolutely no compassion on Paul and Silas. In fact, he just, right, as you would kind of expect from a a former Roman soldier, he, he just wrenches it a little bit more on him. Makes the pain a little bit worse as he throws him in. And the moment where Paul has the opportunity to get him back, isn't that what, that's what the culture tells us we're supposed to do. We're supposed to fight for our rights. We're supposed to demand that we get heard. All of the, you know, the ways in which society goes about exacting, right? We, we don't, 
we take it. We go for it. We, we, uh, we assume that it's ours. And here is Paul. He has the opportunity before him is what the world says is freedom. And Paul doesn't take it. And he extends great forgiveness. C.S. Lewis says, we all believe forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. Here is Paul in the midst of arguably a very difficult situation. It's a situation he writes about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He talks about this beating with rods. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says that he was treated shamefully at Philippi. Listen, don't think for a second that he didn't have pain, that he wasn't hurting, that he wasn't sorrow, uh, that there wasn't great sorrow in his heart. He was in a very bad, difficult place. And in that sort of place, the world tells us, Get him back. The gospel tells us, extend forgiveness. C.S. Lewis says in another place, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. The The bigger miracle in the story is not the earthquake. As miraculous as the earthquake is, the real miracle in the story is that the Apostle Paul was willing to give up his life for the life of the Philippian jailer. Because by not leaving, the Apostle Paul essentially was placing himself back under the magistrate's care, back in prison. At the moment in which the gates are flung and he, you know, the world screaming freedom, the Apostle Paul says, I'm just as free in here as I am out there. And so when the jailer comes in, hey, so he's in awe of the earthquake, but what's he more in awe of? He is more moved by the fact that Paul loved him enough to not have him killed. That's what he's moved by. He's moved by forgiveness. And so he falls at his feet. Okay, He's heard the singing. Now he's seen the forgiveness. And he's seen the power of God. And he falls down before them. He essentially offers himself to them. And then he asks the question, How can I get what you've got? How can I know the salvation that you've been singing about? How can I experience and be able to deliver and give away the forgiveness you've given to me. That's what's bound up in the question. It has to be because that's all the Philippian jailer has seen. He's seen the singing. He's seen the earthquake. And now he's seen the forgiveness. And so he asked the question, how do I get what you've got? And Paul's answer is simply the best. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He goes a little bit further. 
It, the text says in verse uh, chapter uh, in, in verses 31 and 32, he says, believe in Jesus. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to them. So at midnight, when all of this is now taking place, they tell him the basics of the gospel, and then they begin to expound the gospel as they open the word to them. And the text tells us that the jailer responds in multiple ways. How do we know he's saved? Look at what he does. Verse 33, first, he's moved to compassion and he washes their wounds. How do you know, right? At the beginning, you're probably asking the question, it doesn't say anything about being bloodied and, and battered and broken bones. But when you get to verse 33, you find out, oh, yeah, they had them. They had the wounds. They had the scars. They were in bad shape because the first thing that the jailer does in verse 33 is with compassion now towards them, he moves to bandage their wounds. He looks around, right? This is what the gospel does. This is where the gospel moves us. It causes us to look outside of ourselves at those who are hurting and struggling. And that's exactly what the jailer does. He looks, he sees their wounds, he moves to wash them. Second, he has to be baptized. Third, the text tells us he includes his family. So in the process, it appears that what, you know, Somehow the jailer lives close to the jail. That's obvious. And in the course of these things happening, his family is sucked in. He wants them to hear. He wants them to experience. And so they're there. They hear. They experience. And together, they're all baptized in the middle of the night. No waiting. Not interested in putting this off till tomorrow. Let's do it now. Now, good Presbyterian is going to say, doesn't say anything about a big river, so they probably sprinkled them. All right, let's move. Um, but he he includes his family in the in in the hearing of the gospel. So he he wants others to hear what he's heard and to experience what he's experienced. And then the text tells us the last thing that he did is he showed them hospitality. He invited them into his home, and he put a meal before them, and he fed them. And those are the things that go along, right? The outward expression in baptism and, 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 and following the Lord Jesus' example, including others in the hearing of the gospel, ministering mercy to those around us and showing hospitality. The last thing that we see in the text And, and, and it's an interesting part, is that Paul now speaks up. Why didn't he speak up at the beginning? Don't know. But he speaks up now. And he tells him at the very end, he says, listen, we're Roman citizens. I am a Roman citizen. This shouldn't have happened. It was wrong. And he lays out the case. And when the magistrates find out, they are nervous. They're scared because they don't want to, they don't want to get in, they violated the law. So they don't want to get in trouble. But that's not what Paul's interested in doing. What, what Paul seems to be doing is he puts a little bit of pressure on the magistrates, right? Because what does he have there in Philippi now? He has a budding church 
And so he's got a group of believers. He's got the Lydia's, the slave girl, the Philippian jailer, their families. He's got a budding church. And the last thing he wants is for the magistrates to be looking at them going, this is a product of Paul and Silas. Let's move to crush them. And so he speaks up about his rights. He puts pressure on the magistrate. They back off and the church is allowed to flourish. But verse 40 tells us that he does something else. And that something else is as they escort him out and they tell him, they tell Paul and Silas, how about you guys just get out of Dodge? And on his way out, the text tells us that they stop and they visit with Lydia and they encouraged the other brothers. And that tells you how much the Apostle Paul thought of the church. All of these things have happened. They're, they've added more to their numbers. They've had their time of ministry there. They're escorting them out of town. And Paul says, listen, I know, I know my calling. I know what I'm here for. I know what Jesus said. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so as one last opportunity, Paul slips in, he visits Lydia, and he encourages the brothers. What does he encourage them with? He probably told them about his conversation with the magistrates. But he also encouraged them because of what had happened and because of the way he had responded in the face of persecution, in the face of the beatings, in the face of prison, he encouraged them by showing that he extended forgiveness to the Philippian jailer. I live in the gospel. What an amazing text. What an amazing encouragement for us. You know, the thing, I, the thing that as I ended the text in my own heart, as I, as I thought about it, as I worked through it, is at the very end, that, that last little tidbit about Paul just tells me this. He knew his calling. He knew why the Lord had saved him. He knew who he was and what he was about. And that was making the gospel known. And this, this text just bears that out. All three encounters, right? Paul was about one thing. To Lydia, sharing the gospel. To the slave girl, speaking power into a very difficult life. And now in the Philippian jailer, showing amazing forgiveness. Living his life out, living the gospel out before this man so that he could finally have a conversation with him. And all three of those are instrumental for us as we seek to make the gospel known in the lake area and beyond. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. Thanks for an amazing text that you've given to us, a reminder of how the church in early times expanded and grew. Father, we are oftentimes 